Hello and welcome. My name is Father William Maestri, and this is another edition of Gabriel's Trumpet for Thursday of the fifth week of Easter, May the 6th. And our reading this morning comes to us by way of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, verses 7 through 21. Acts 15, 7 through 21. And this is a very interesting passage because it speaks to much of what is going on in our world today, certainly in our own society. We hear a great deal of talk today about this idea of inclusion, that uh, we shouldn't exclude, but we should be inclusive. In other words, as uh, we suddenly say, all y'all come. And we get confused over the idea of all y'all come, and are there legitimate exclusions as well as appropriate inclusions? I realize that words have unfortunately become like Play-Doh or uh, melted wax. We kind of form them any way we want through our craftiness and rationalization. We play with words so that words no longer have a standard meaning. But they're pretty much idiosyncratic. It's whatever I want the word to mean. And so I torture a word until it fits what I want it to mean often to my advantage, from my particular point of view. And the reason I bring all this up is because in Acts of the Apostles, they had their own issue of inclusion and exclusion. And in Acts of the Apostles, we have to remember that at the Ascension, which we're fast approaching on Ascension Thursday, uh, Jesus tells the disciples that they are to go forth and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, to preach the gospel to all creatures. And naturally, this brings up the question of inclusion. If the Christian message is universal, and it is, for all creatures, great and small, and we are to preach that, does that mean you can just come any way you want? Yes, you can come as you are, but you're not to stay as you are. That there is going to be a formation and a reformation. There's going to be some, some baseline requirements uh, in order to be part of the community. Uh, not to the extreme. We want to avoid uh, requirements that are so extreme that it's really meant to exclude. But we don't want to have a situation where we have no requirements so that one can come as one is, remain as one is, and yet still be part of the community. Then one doesn't have a community. One simply has a group or a mob rather than a like-minded group of people who are about the same goals, the same code of conduct, the same beliefs, the same attitudes. And so we see that a dispute rate breaks out in the early church. This is the very early church, right after the ascension. 
And as the apostles are going out and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, they are getting more and more converts. That is, they are getting more and more Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, to come into the faith because they are embracing Jesus Christ. Well, this causes a great deal of tension between the Jews who have converted to Christ and accepted the gospel, but they still want to hold on to the Mosaic law and say that all of those who are Gentiles, if they're going to come in now to follow Christ, they must obey completely and totally the Mosaic law. Well, this causes a great deal of division, a great deal of controversy, uh, a great deal of resentment and anger and division within the body of Christ is just the one thing that Christ had prayed for, that they all may be one, as I and you, Father, and you and me, that they all may be one in us. This is division and dividing and hatred and resentment. That's all the work of the evil one. That's not the work of the Lord. And so the controversy reaches such a degree that the apostles convene in Jerusalem with Peter and Paul and Barnabas, and James, and the other apostles that are still living, as well as the elders, because they have to settle, they have to settle this issue because it's tearing the community apart. And there are those who are indicating that they must follow the whole of the Mosaic law whole of the Mosaic law, everything, circumcision, dietary, uh, the, entire, the entire thing. And uh, Peter addresses them, and he says, Brothers, you know well that from the early days God selected me from your number to be the one whose lips the Gentiles would bear the message of the gospel and believe. God, who reads the hearts, showed his approval by granting the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between them and us, but purified their hearts by means of faith also. And then Peter says, Why then do you put God to the test by trying to place on the shoulders of these converts a yoke which neither we our fathers were able to bear. Now that's that's uh, pretty direct. You are asking converts to do and to conform. If you look at the history of Israel through the scriptures, they weren't able, we weren't able to fulfill. But now you're asking converts, if you're going to come into the community, you have to obey what we ourselves did not obey. In other words, for thee, but not for me. That sounds pretty familiar today when you look around at uh, many of our so-called moral betters who are telling us, you should, you should do this, you should do that. Wear this, uh, follow these guidelines. But they themselves do not lift a finger. They themselves live as if 
the guidelines are for others, but certainly not for them or for their family or their loved ones. It is a double standard on steroids. But it's, we also see it at work right here in the church, right here at the beginning of the church. And, you know, uh, Peter goes on and he says, our belief is rather that we are saved by the favor of the Lord Jesus, and so are they. It is by faith that we are saved. And the whole assembly falls silent because they have been confronted by the truth. By someone who had the, the courage and the Holy Spirit to speak the truth to the community, to the people. And they listened to Barnabas and to Paul as the two described all the signs and wonders that God had worked among the Gentiles. In other words, if they're really so bad, why would God in the Holy Spirit be working all of these signs and wonders, bringing people over, curing, healing, forgiving, if it's not of God? When they concluded their presentation, Paul and Barnabas and St. Peter, James spoke up. And he said, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has told you how God first concerned himself with taking from among the Gentiles a people to bear his name. The words of a prophet agree with this. And he goes on and he gives a synopsis of the scriptures. And James, the, the, the cousin of the Lord, James, it is my judgment, therefore, that we ought not to cause God's Gentile converts any difficulty. We should merely write to them to abstain from anything committed, uh, contaminated by idols, from illicit sexual union, from the meat of strangled animals, and from eating blood. After all, for generations now, Moses has been proclaimed in every town and has been read aloud in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Notice, do not place upon people's shoulders a burden which is so great that it simply renders them uh, dispirited. They turn away. We're not about turning away. But notice there are requirements. It is that balance between no requirements and all y'all come and to be so exclusive as to be exclusionary. It is that balance. It is that balance. And so the church has been very wise in seeking that balance. And it is clear that the message of Almighty God of salvation through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and the indwelling Holy Spirit is universal. It's, it is for everyone. And everyone, every single human being, every nation, every people is called to be part of God's universal family, universal community, because Christ suffered and died for all for all, regardless of all the externals of gender, race, creed, color, all those things that divide us. In Christ, all are one. 
at the same time, there are expectations. Not, not burden. My yoke is easy, my burden light. It's not to dispirit people, but to make them become weary and faint-hearted. But it is to find balance. And in our own spiritual life, our faith is not to be a burden. It's not to be something you compulsively have to do. It is not something that uh, we have to somehow lay upon ourselves and certainly upon others, that it really becomes not a joy and an offering to the Lord, but it becomes a, really a burden and a duty. I have to do this. I must go through these exercises. I must do this. It's like a, a torturous trip to the physical gym. That's, that's not what the Christian message is about. It's that joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I tell you that my joy may be yours and your joy may be complete. And we need to ask ourselves, in the living of our own spiritual life, in our own life as Christians, and what we project to others and what we expect of others, is there a joy in the Holy Spirit? Is there really a sense of true freedom where Christ has made us free? Or is it a heavy burden? Is it like when we have indigestion, there's the food that doesn't quite go down? It kind of lays heavy on our chest. It's not a pleasurable experience. It becomes something that brings great discomfort and unease. That's not the gospel. That's not good news. It's bad news. Because that's not what the Lord intended. So in the living of our spiritual life, may we not lay burdens on ourselves and certainly not burdens on others. But let us live in that faith that allows us in our thoughts, words, and deeds every day to proclaim Jesus as Lord and live that. Not because we are forced to, but because we have found the great treasure beyond price. We have been blessed by that treasure, the treasure of our faith in the, through the Holy Spirit, to proclaim each day that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let us not be burdened, and let us not burden others. But let the joy and the peace that Christ came to give each and every one of us, let it be in the very center of our being. That the joy that Jesus came may be completed, and we may each day extend that joy and that peace to those whom we meet. God bless you.